your Locked On Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns. Hey, welcome everybody to a Wednesday edition of the Locked On Longhorns podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Khan. Joining me as always, Cammy. Cammy, it's Wednesday. NFL draft is almost here. We're going to get into some draft talk here in a little bit. But first, I want to touch on some basketball news. It did not take long for Vic Schaefer to start making a move, and he landed a transfer at the University of Texas. He did. He landed Lauren Ebo. Ebo, is that how you pronounce your last name? I want to say Ebo, but we should probably get familiar with that. Um, But, yeah, she's a Washington, D.C. native. She averaged a little over five points per game for Penn State uh, last season, and she played just around 20 minutes per game. So she will be eligible to play. Um, She's probably actually going to receive plenty of playing time in Austin. Um, She'll probably play right next to Collier as uh, that little forward forward duo. And um, it's actually – impressive that he was able to land her in just a short time on the job. It seems like what days, maybe a week or so uh, that he's been on the job. So um, yeah, I think it fills a void um, from Joyner leaving. So I think it's a positive sign for the Longhorns. Yeah. It's going to be a situation to watch because at this time, we don't know if they're going to waive the, the waiting period, so don't know if she's going to have to wait a season. Because um, if you remember, uh, Charisma Ortiz also transferred from Penn State. She had to set out all of last year. Uh, she's a guard that will be playing this next upcoming season, you know, with uh, Suge Sutton leaving and uh, I believe LaShawn Higgs also leaving, uh, being seniors. So, you know, she's going to fill a role, fill a void there as well. You know, it's kind of interesting that you got two former Penn State Nittany Lions joining the Longhorns, but it did not take him long at all to make moves, which not surprising because he's obviously trying to mold this program in his vision. He's trying to get them back to where they were, uh, you know, I guess back to where they were back in the late 80s when they won the national championship in 1986. So I think he's trying to get back to that and, you know, he's going to do it his way and with his players. And so it'll be a situation to watch to see what happens over the next few weeks, months, and, and into the season, depending on when everything gets off. Uh, so, but staying on the topic of basketball, we're going to get into the Greg Brown predictions. Greg Brown's, it just seems like a, foregone conclusion that he's going to be a University of Texas Longhorn. Um, but, you know, there's there's those people out there. I, get, I don't know. I wouldn't call them conspiracy theorists, but those, those pessimists who think that somehow Greg Brown is not going to choose Texas. Yeah, there's always those types of people out there. And it kind of reminds me of when we were closely watching, I know this is a football topic, but Alfred Collins, when he had that kind of big announcement ceremony, commitment ceremony that he did. And uh, right towards the end, everyone was kind of thinking he would lean a different way. But um, it really was Texas the whole way for Alfred Collins. And I kind of feel like it's the same for Greg Brown. And the uh, crystal ball predictions still 100% are leaning towards Texas. I mean, Austin's his hometown, even though he's highly sought after. And with Shaka staying, I really don't think that will change you know it's interesting because just a few weeks ago 
when we were discussing the Greg Brown uh, commitment, hopefully commitment, crystal ball predictions were actually at 80% Texas. So now it's they've dropped Kentucky out completely, which I never really felt that Kentucky was a legitimate spot for him because in this recruiting class, they just signed the two of the top, I believe it was top six forwards in the class. And if they would have signed Greg Brown, they would have had three of the top six forwards in the class. So I didn't think that was a good spot for him because obviously he has said time and time again, he's a one and done. And so if he's going to go to a place like Kentucky, he's probably not going to get the playing time that he could get at Texas because let's be honest, the competition for playing time at his position at Texas is very slim. Right. I think he'll end up in Texas. Yeah, I, I don't think it, it's any different. I just wanted to uh, kind of get into the update. And we, and like I said, we had a 20% swing in just a matter of weeks. So it seems like a foregone conclusion. I just ho- hope they hurry up, make his commitment, and then we can focus on some other things. All right, Cam. So speaking of recruits and Shaka Smart, Donovan Williams was – a basketball combo guard who thought that everybody thought would might choose Texas. Uh, he has he was committed to K State, but he's going to end up going to Oklahoma State. And Texas was in his top three schools. And now he's going to go to Oklahoma State. Why do you think it is that? Shaka Smart keeps whiffing on these recruits. Is it a simple matter of people don't want to align themselves with what appears to be a sinking ship? I don't know. I kind of think it's regarding the uncertainty of Shaka's coaching career, perhaps. Maybe they're unsure how long or at the time. We didn't even know if he was going to be coming back this upcoming season. So um, when you're looking at it from that standpoint, um, how long is he going to stay after that? And I don't know. I think it's just a lot of uncertainty surrounding their program right now. But I think if Shaka is able to land Greg Brown, it's going to lessen the blow from some of his other recruiting whiffs. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot. Actually, I don't think there's any players that are going to be that are going to be lost from the previous season. Um, there, there were some thoughts about Jericho Sims possibly going to the NBA. Uh, but with that uncertainty with the NBA, I, I don't think that he does. I think he comes back. Chase Febris comes back. Uh, you know, the Andrew Jones is going to be back. So I don't think it was that big of a deal uh, whipping on, you know, Donovan Williams per se, but it was just kind of a head scratcher that we're at this point right now where Shaka has no signees for this upcoming class whatsoever. And so it's kind of a eye-opening, like, what's going on there? Why can't he sign anybody? Because, you know, everybody felt like when Shaka was hired, he was going to be great for University of Texas. And while he's brought some talent in, some one-and-done guys, you know, it just hadn't come together. So it makes you question what you know, what the perception is of Shaka to recruits themselves. Exactly. And success helps with that. And they've kind of been lacking that recently. So hopefully that turns around in the near future. That would definitely be uh, something that Texas basketball needs, especially on the men's side. 
They've made a move on the women's side. We'll see how that works out. But coming up next, we're going to get into some football talk, including the top 25 quarterbacks for 2020 and our official selections for the Mount Rushmore of Texas football. All right, Cammie, so 24-7 Sports released their top 25 quarterbacks for 2020. And I'm going to venture a guess here. <laughs> Sam Ellinger is near the top. He sure is. They had an interesting and quite long list of the top 25 quarterback projections for the 2020 season. But it's still clear that no matter what media outlet or national outlet you're referring to, um, Texas quarterback Sam Ellinger seems to always fall around the number three spot, which is obviously sky high for him. Um, his expectations surrounding him couldn't be higher at the moment. Uh, but yeah, he was at number three on the list. And number two was Trevor Lawrence from Clemson. And number one was Justin Fields from Ohio State. So um, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields kind of keep flip-flopping spots between the one and two spots. But Sam Ellinger seems pretty uh, comfortable in the number three spot. And actually, I was uh, quite surprised that Sam Howell from North Carolina was in the number four spot. But other than that, there were, I believe, Four other, I mean, four total Big 12 quarterbacks in the top 25. Um, and then former Texas quarterback Shane Bouchelle was actually at number 10 at SMU. Uh, but they obviously had Spencer uh, Rattler from Oklahoma in here. I believe they had, yeah, Iowa State's Brock Purdy in here. Um, let's see, they have Baylor's Charlie Brewer. So, um, it's kind of a wide variety of quarterback names on this list, but it's obviously the expectations surrounding Ellinger are high coming into his senior season. Yeah, to, to go back to your point about uh, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, yeah, I think those guys, they're going to flip-flop. Obviously, I think Trevor Lawrence is like when, when it all comes down to it and he's going to the NFL draft, I think Trevor will be top-rated at that point. But if you're just talking about college – it's hard to really justify one versus the other. I think I might put Trevor a little higher just because, you know, he's won national championships. So it's a little different for me there on my rankings. Hal is another guy who's getting a lot of buzz when it comes to the NFL draft possibility next season. So uh, I definitely can't disagree with any of the top four there. Uh, I'm definitely in line with all of those. Yeah, uh, and it, I just want to add their reasoning for this. So I thought it was interesting because they obviously are um, really high on new offensive coordinator Mike Yersich as well. So they were um, mentioning that Ellinger has actually accounted for 80 touchdowns over his last 27 games, which is only second most in college football um, during that stretch. Obviously, Joe Burrow is at the top with 88. But they think uh, Yersich um, said earlier in the spring that one of the reasons he took this job was because of Ellinger. So they think that new uh, combo between Yersich and Ellinger should be terrific this season. I do as well. Yeah, I, I do. I think he's going to do wonders for him, and I'm excited to see how he does. Um, you know, he he obviously was at Oklahoma State uh, for a good while and was doing a lot of good there. Um, now he went to Ohio State, and then he comes here, um, you know, worked with Justin Fields as the passing game coordinator. So – I am really interested to see how he's going to incorporate everything. How he's going to get the offense flowing, obviously with Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins last year. You know, can he get something? I'm not. I'm not going to be foolish and say can he get that same level of production here at Texas. But what can he do in a similar fashion with the running back group that is here, 
and with Sam Ellinger. So that's exciting to watch when football gets going. Uh, but next, I want to get into our Mount Rushmore's. Uh, so I know we talked about this previously on the podcast, but I decided let's get this in writing. And, and when we did ours, we did players only, but I had a hard time leaving two coaches in Texas football history out because of what they did for this program. Yeah, I agree. And you, I actually, when I was reading your selections, I felt the need to maybe add uh, one or even both of those into my list, even though I ended up going with all uh, players in my particular list. But I believe you chose uh, Mac Brown and Daryl Royal, correct? Yeah, Daryl K. Royal, who, you know, it's interesting because he played college football at the University of Oklahoma and he became a legend at the University of Texas. Yep, obviously a stadium's named after him, so that speaks volumes. That does speak volumes. He brought three national championships in his 20 years as the head coach and athletic director. Um, he spent some time as athletic director before officially retiring. Uh, you know, so it was hard for me to put to leave out Daryl K. Royal. Obviously, when you think of the stadium, obviously it's DKR is what people refer to it as. And so, you know, it's you have to have him in there. Uh, Mac Brown, obviously, he brought two national championship appearances, one national championship. And how about a run of nine straight years of double-digit wins? Yeah, that's impressive. By any stretch. I don't care who you're playing. Uh, if you can win double-digit games every year for nine straight years, and he came real close to doing it for 10. So that just shows you the level of consistency that he had. And so that's why I went with them. Earl Campbell being the first Heisman winner, I had to put him in there. It was hard for me not to put him in there. And obviously Vince Young, what he was able to do, put that team on his back against USC, fourth down and five. We've talked about it time and time again, but that's why those four were my Mount Rushmore. Yeah, I agree with those. I think this is hard. Um, it depends on what angle you come in at, because I think the only, I guess, consensus name that has to be on each list is Vince Young. I think that's a no-brainer. Um, he was obviously first on my list and would be probably first on my list of um, yeah, any football at Texas, any football player at Texas, really. I was going to say all sports, but I don't want to get that off track yet. But um, it depends on what angle you come in on this, because you could even make a case for two or three running backs to be included on Mount Rushmore if you're just choosing between four um, players or coaches. But I specifically chose Vince Young, and right after that I put Ricky Williams. Um, obviously you can make the case for Earl Campbell and Cedric Benson here, uh, but Ricky Williams still holds several school records at Texas. He was a 1998 Heisman Trophy winner. Um, he had 28 100-yard games in his career. Uh, he finished his collegiate career with over a little over 6,000 rushing yards. So I think it was hard for me to leave him off the list. Um, I also added Derek Johnson. I wanted to put a defensive player here, and I was kind of torn between Derek Johnson and Earl Thomas. But um, Texas just is yet to see another linebacker like Johnson. Um, he was aggressive, speedy, explosive player. He was the nation's top defensive player and top linebacker. He was a unanimous first-team All-American selection. Um, he forced a school record, nine fumbles as a senior. So that was kind of my defensive pick there. And then I kind of did um, – I wouldn't say I'm going off too far on a limb here, but I did put Colt McCoy as my number four on my Mount Rushmore. I think he's kind of overlooked when discussing the best players or football players to ever play at Texas. Really all that was missing with him was a national championship. 
Obviously, he led his team there in 2010, uh, BCS National Championship for the 2009 season, although he got hurt um, towards the beginning of that game. But he was one of the winningest quarterbacks in college football history. Um, he's the only two-time All-America quarterback at Texas, and his name just absolutely floods the Texas record book. So um, that's why it was kind of hard for me to leave him off of there. And I know you kind of thought whether or not to include Colt McCoy as well, but I think you could take a different – a lot of different angles when looking at a list like this. Yeah, it was honestly, it was down between Mac Brown and Colt McCoy. And ultimately, obviously what Mac Brown did for the university in that long run that he had, it was hard for me not to put him on there. Uh, as far as, you know, the conversations that me and you had, I went back and forth on Earl Campbell versus Ricky Williams. Obviously I was a huge Ricky Williams fan, uh, all the records that he holds, you know, and the fact that, uh, I, I believe Griffin even mentioned this in his his section of the Mount Rushmore. Is Mike Dicka gave up a lot to draft Ricky Williams when he came out in 1999. Uh, you know, so it was it's it's difficult to choose between the two, but I just felt like with Earl Campbell, he uh, he was the first Heisman winner at the University of Texas, and that's just you know a huge thing I think and. Uh, Really, the, the tiebreaker, Cammy, really came down to Earl Campbell's hot links. Have you ever had them? I mean, the oh my gosh. I really thought you were going to say something serious, and I was prepared to come back with some of Ricky Williams. But um, no, I don't think I've had this. You, you definitely got to try that out. Uh, but, you know, just talking about, like, talking about all time greats and, you know, the, the Mount Rushmore's, we're going to get into some more conversations about this over the next few episodes of the Locked On Longhorns podcast, but I'm going to start a little bit here. So we've had conversations in the past about the all-decade teams. Uh, we had a lot of discussions about those. I wanted to go into the all-century team going back to 2000 to current, so the last 20 years, Texas football, and basically do a two-deep depth chart of the best team and put together the ultimate Texas Longhorn team of the century. Um, and not to give too much away because we're going to be talking about this more and more in the in the coming week or so. We're going to start at quarterback, and and honestly, I don't think that you can really. I mean, it's a no brainer, right? I mean, it's it's Vince Young as the number one quarterback. It's Colt McCoy as number two. You can make arguments for Colt McCoy as number one because he holds all the records. I just take that one season in two thousand six and hold it to a higher regard for for what Vince Young was able to do. Exactly. I do one and two of Vince Young and Colt McCoy. Um, I think that's a no-brainer. It's kind of hard to hide who your two picks would be there. But um, when you look deeper into a roster, so I know we're just going, um, I guess, first and second of each position. So it's really hard to think about. Obviously, there's a lot of great, um, I guess not a lot, but several good running backs that you could add in here. There's several good wide receivers you could add in. Um, obviously, the secondary has been pretty impressive at different spurts throughout the last century. So um, it's going to be an interesting but kind of hard uh, debate to kind of narrow it down to just two players. When you think about all-time great running back to the University of Texas over the last 20 years, I think you have to start with Cedric Benson, just for what he was able to do on the field. I mean, he, he was a monster on the field. Right, and, I, and he had one of the best individual seasons by running back in Texas history, um, probably even college football history. But I think you obviously have to, in terms of just discussing this past century, he has to be number one. But it gets a little tricky at the number two spot. I mean, even 
a name that people probably are mentioning too much is Deontay Foreman. I think he had a um, pretty impressive collegiate career that could be considered the number two spot. So um, we might have some good arguments. We, we definitely might. Jamal Charles, Deontay Foreman. Uh, we can get, we're going to get into more of those conversations. So make sure you tune in on Friday. We're going to dive into it a little bit more. But coming up next, uh, we're going to get into a little mock draft roundup. And what is Jordan Hicks up to? All right, Cammie. So this past week, we did a little mock draft roundup on Longhorns Wire. Uh, took a look at three different mock drafts to see where the the five University of Texas players expected to be drafted or signed in the undrafted free agency period following the draft. Uh, obviously, Brandon Jones is a guy who's been near the top pretty much in every single mock. So just going back the last few months. Uh, latest draft wire, USA Today Sports Media Group draft wire, have Brandon Jones in the third round at the 80th pick going to the Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, we've, I was just thinking about that as you were speaking. We've consistently seen Brandon Jones uh, being projected in the third round. Um, we've seen a few uh, mock drafts here and there that have had wide receiver Devin DuVernay taken above Jones, but I guess the consensus is that Jones will be the first Longhorn off the board. But that brings up a good argument because I do think the third round is a safe spot um, and realistic spot for Brandon Jones to be selected. But do you, at this point with the NFL draft so close, believe that he will be the first Texas player selected? Um, I, I think it's a toss-up between him and DuVernay, to be honest with you. I mean, I know we see DuVernay consistently mocked below him, but it just feels like with this wide receiver class, um, and, you know, and it's kind of like take your flavor of ice cream, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of receiver do you want? I, I just feel like with his skill set, somebody's going to fall in love with it. Um, and then they're going to take him. Obviously, the fact that he's dependable, uh, even when hurt, he doesn't miss a game and he doesn't drop very many passes. So he's a guy that you can count on. So I take that over some of the other um, aspects of somebody's game. So if I had to say right now, I'm I'm really about 60-40 Jones over DuVernay at this point, Colin Johnson behind them, um, and then Roach and possibly Shackelford. Yeah, I think that's probably a fair bet, but it's it's weird to me because if you would have asked me a month ago, I would have been dead set on Brandon Jones uh, being the first Longhorn off the board, but uh, DuVernay is just clearly impressed in some of his interviews. He has, obviously has high character. Um, what he's done on the field speaks for itself. Like you mentioned, his consistency, his speed, um, everything surrounding him. So I do think a team is going to take a chance on him fairly early. I just don't know uh, whether that'll be uh, before the third round or not. That is going to be the big key. I just, I don't know. It's a tough. And I think when you get in the compensatory spots in the NFL draft, I think that, you know, can help out a little bit as far as there's more options there um, on taking players. So just to run you down, run down through this draft wire mock, Brandon Jones, Vegas Raiders, uh, Colin Johnson in the fourth round at pick 142 to the Washington Redskins. I think that's be good because they need a couple another wide receiver with Terry, Terry McLaurin um, to give Dwayne Haskins a another uh, another wide receiver or you know what maybe it's to attack of Iloa who knows what Washington is going to do they've been known to run to run multiple first round or drafted quarterbacks out there so who knows who it's going to be uh, Devin Duvernay to the Baltimore Ravens. 
which I found that interesting because they have, you know, Marquise Brown and Antoine Wesley, both Big 12 receivers, so why not make it a trio? Yeah, I mean, I've seen even Matt Miller. I know you're talking about draft fire right now, but I've seen even Matt Miller uh, mock him to the Ravens as well. So there must be some type of mutual interest there. It, it might be. Um, and then the last one here I'm going to discuss is the Malcolm Roach to the Tennessee Titans. And, you know, this is a conversation that me and you have had where we've said that Malcolm Roach feels like a New England Patriots type pick. And so that's why I thought it was funny that he was mocked to the Tennessee Titans who are run by the head coach who served under Bill Belichick, but as a player, Mike Vrabel. Ooh, yeah, that's interesting. All right, so let's go to Matt Miller's seven-round pick. Uh, He had Brandon Jones in the third round at the 86th pick to the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, I think that's pretty consistent of where he's been falling in the third round. I think he'll probably be taken anywhere between the 80th and 90th pick in terms of what team or what may be the best fit. Um, I'm not sure which team is the highest on him, but that sounds about where he's going to fall. How about pick three, 98? Third round, 98th pick, Colin Johnson to the New York Giants to join former Longhorn quarterback Colt McCoy. Oh, I... Don't like this as a Cowboys fan, obviously, because I think Colin Johnson is a great player. I think he's a little underrated in this class and obviously very big bodied outside receiver. But um, I don't think he'll obviously be playing with Colt McCoy as much as Colt is going to be the backup. But I think Colin Johnson kind of is a Jason Garrett type of guy. So that might be an interesting fit for him. Very much could be. Uh, Pick round four, pick 129, Devin Duvernay to the Minnesota Vikings. They traded away Stefan Diggs, so Adam Thielen would need a, another uh, a, another player to add to the duo of Thielen and Tajay Sharp. Uh, you know, I think that's a good pick for Duvernay, and, and he goes to uh, play for a team that is ready to compete, and I think he steps in right away and makes contributions. I do too. And I actually think the two teams that I've seen DuVernay mock to the most have been the Ravens and the Vikings. So um, obviously they might be a little high on him in the draft, but um, it depends on where he's taken. I've seen him as high as the second round. I've seen him as low as the fifth round. So um, it's wide open in terms of where DuVernay may fall on this draft. Yeah, it's, it, it is wide open. So yeah. And I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm so glad that the draft is just a week away. So we can, because I'm actually tired of talking about mock drafts. I'm ready (laughs) to talk about actual drafts. Uh, But we're going to get into the last one. Pro Football Network had DuVernay in the third round. The first Longhorn off the board to the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, Raiders added Nelson Aguilar to go with Hunter Riffro and Tyrell Williams. Uh, DuVernay can, I think he's competition for Renfro, and obviously he can step in immediately. this is the one that kind of made me scratch my head in the fifth round. Brandon Jones falls to the Panthers in the fifth. Uh, I think that might have to, something to do with the fact that he's not a big time player as far as creating turnovers that might cause the slide, but I don't think the slide is going to be as drastic as they have here in the fifth round, six round pick Colin Johnson to the Indianapolis Colts. Um, and then six round pick Malcolm Roach to the New England Patriots. Uh, We talked about that a little bit earlier. And in the seventh round, Zach Shackelford to the San Francisco 49ers. 
Yeah, I think the most surprising there was the drop of Colin Johnson in the sixth round. I definitely think Cole will be taken somewhere between the third and fifth rounds. So sliding to the Colts there was a little bit shocking. Um, other than that, I think Malcolm Roach and Zach Shackelford have a good chance to fall within the sixth or seventh rounds in this draft. Yeah, yeah, I I, I definitely see that. Um, the, the one that, like I said, the one that really made me – stop and think about was when when i read that they had brandon and in, in the fifth round I, just, I i don't know like i know it's feasible i just can't see it happening me either i think he's pretty much a sure bet for a third round pick okay so real quick uh we're gonna get into what jordan hicks is doing the current arizona cardinals linebacker who's coming off a career year um he and his wife have partnered with Austin Pets Alive, according to his Twitter account. Um, and I thought it was great because if you were to get a, if you are to uh, adopt a pet, you get a crate, toys, food, and a leash, courtesy of Jordan Hicks and his wife. I think this is an amazing thing to do right now, especially with the quarantine and people needing to have a distraction. Um, you know, and what better distraction than having a new pet? Um, and obviously, you can get your exercise. Uh, what do you think about what Jordan Hicks is doing? I love it. I'm glad that he's taking care of the animals. Um, a lot of it seems like people in the community are trying to um, provide generous donations and things like that to Austin Pets Alive. I know Sam Ellinger mentioned them in his GoFundMe, but I like what Hicks did here in terms of the creativity. So I like that um, each person who actually goes in and adopts a dog, they're not just giving them uh, resources. Uh, he's saying, hey, you're going to get a care package from myself and my wife each time you adopt a pet. It's um, like you mentioned, a crate, pet food, treats, a leash, a toy, litter for cats, even a gift card. So it's a little bit of everything mixed in one in that little care package. Um, I think that will kind of get people out to that pet shelter and have them adopt an animal or a pet for their home, whether it's a dog or a cat or whatever else, um, they'll be more likely to do that knowing they get that in return. So I thought it was thoughtful. I thought it was creative and obviously very generous of his family. It definitely is. But, you know, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Locked on Longhorns podcast. Uh, with the NFL draft coming up, make sure you tell your smart advice to tune in to the draft dudes. Uh, for Cammy, I am Patrick, and we will see you on Friday. Hook 'em.